All right, well, we were supposed to be in 1 Corinthians 7 today, and I realized earlier in the week that today was a um, fifth Sunday, and then we'd have all the kids in here, and then I looked at the text um, and saw that it was on conjugal rights and marriage, and punted that a week, so come back next week. Today we are going to be in Luke 18. We're just going to cover a couple verses that pertain um, to kids and uh, Jesus' heart to children, um, but also have much relevance for all of us. So, if you are a kid, listen up, especially um, towards the beginning here. There, there's, this is going to be directed specifically at you. Um, Jesus is speaking about kids. Okay, so let's first read the whole passage together. Um, have it up on the s- screen. Um, let's just read it all together. Three verses here. Ready? Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We're going to consider two things here. First, the heart of Jesus towards children, the welcoming heart of Jesus. And then secondly, what does it mean, what it means to come to Jesus like a child? So first, the welcoming heart of Jesus. So in this account here, we are told that some parents are bringing their kids, even babies, to Jesus to have him uh, pray over them, touch them, perhaps say a blessing over them. But Jesus' disciples turn them away. They, they rebuke them. They discourage them from coming. Apparently, they didn't think this was a very good use of Jesus' time. Jesus is this great miracle worker, this great teacher. Doesn't he have more important things to do than spend time with kids? So they apparently thought there were more important things, more important people. All of you kids, perhaps you have felt like this at times, felt like you were not very welcome or not very important or valuable. Perhaps you wanted to be included in something that was going on, some game or activity, and uh, you weren't included. Perhaps you wanted to do something with your mom or dad, and you kept asking them and asking them, and they, they either said no or they just forgot, which we do sometimes, and you didn't feel welcome. So what does Jesus do here? The disciples rebuke these parents for bringing their kids, and Jesus, in turn, rebukes the parents, or sorry, rebukes the disciples. Uh, in Mark's version of this, we are told that he's indignant, he's angry, over the disciples turning away the parents. He's not happy about this. And he says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. So very plainly, Jesus didn't think it was a waste of time to spend time with children. He wasn't interested only in spending time with adults, only in doing things that adults do and having conversations that only adults can Take part in? No, all of you kids, Jesus welcomes you and invites you to himself. 
You don't have to be an adult to come to Jesus. You don't have to learn everything that your parents know to come to Jesus. There will be time for learning and teaching your parents. But you can just come. And when you come to Jesus, he will never turn you away. He will never reject you. Um, we sang in one of our songs, and we're told in Scripture that when we come to Jesus, when a sinner comes to Jesus, there's rejoicing in heaven among the angels of God. All of heaven rejoices when someone turns to Jesus. They throw a party. Now, you might be thinking that the kids in this story, um, it, was pretty fair, it was fairly easy for them to understand what it meant to come to Jesus because Jesus was right there. They could see him. They could physically walk to him or have their parents carry them to him. But what does it mean for us today? What does it mean for you to come to Jesus? And we can't see him with our eyes, at least. Well, we can turn our hearts and minds to him. We can believe that he is near, that he is God, that he loves us and is with us, that he died for our sins. We pray to him. We say, God, I believe in you. I know you have given yourself in Jesus to die for me. Thank you for welcoming me and making a way for me to come to you. In, in such a way, we can come to Jesus. We turn our hearts and attention to him. We acknowledge who he is. Now, before moving on, parents and adults, notice that this is really a command to you. Like, you let the children come to Jesus. Don't hinder them. We, we can either encourage and help and help lead our kids and the kids of our church to Jesus, or we can stand in the way and hinder them. So just real quick, a couple ways that we can help them rather than hinder them. First, let, let the children come to Jesus by teaching them of Jesus. Teach the children in your homes, in Sunday school here, in other ways, who Jesus is, that he is creator God, Lord of everything, such that we belong to him, and that he came in the flesh and died and lived and died for us. Um, also, teach them who they are. As unpopular as it may be, we need to teach our kids that they are sinners in need of a Savior. Um, just as a hardened sinner who has gone through life living in rebellion to God must turn and repent and come to Jesus, so our kids must repent. They need the blood of Jesus just as much as all of us. They are not innocent. Um, as when Jesus says, such, to such belongs the kingdom of God, he's not saying that all kids, simply because they're kids, are innocent and already a part of God's kingdom. So be careful not to present Jesus as it is sometimes easy to do, merely as like an optional benefit or add-on to their life, or help just merely a companion or friend or helper, although Jesus is all of those things, but also present him as a necessary savior. Present a big and glorious and worthy God who is fully worthy of everything, of their devotion, of their lives, of their love, 
there's a lot of resources to help help with this. The, we hand out the New City Catechism quite a bit. It's a great resource. Um, there's a, the Heidelberg Cat story that we read a few um, months ago. It's a really good one for younger kids. Um, there's a book called Theology or the Big Picture Story Bible. There's lots of great resources to help teach the basics of the faith to, to kids. Now, we've been considering Jesus' welcoming heart to kids, but you don't have to look very far in Scripture to realize and to see that this is Jesus' heart to all of us, to everyone, right? Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's hard to think of more welcoming words than this. Right? Like, come to me. Bring all of your burdens, your heavy laden burdens. We're, Jesus is inviting us to come, calling us to come. And then there's promises that coming to Jesus will be good. You will find rest for your souls. Like everything in this, everything that Jesus is saying is, an in, is, a, is compelling us to come. Similarly, in John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You have these promises. It will be good. It will be satisfying, life-giving, thirst and hunger quenching to come to Jesus. It goes on in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. You will never be turned away. Jesus will never turn you away. And this is in line with God's attitude and words to his people all throughout Scripture. God is continually calling his people to turn from their sin and their wandering and their rebellion against him. They're seeking to live life on their own and come to him. That is God's will and heart that we would turn and come and have our sin forgiven and find him to be our God and us as his people. And then you get to the cross. Then you get to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the most important event in God's story. And what the cross does, what the death and resurrection of Jesus does, is refute every reason that we might give, or others might give, or even the devil might give, for why we can't come to Jesus. The cross leaves us with no excuses. There is no sin or guilt or feeling of inadequacy that can keep us from Jesus, other than a refusal to come. Other than a refusal to come. If we would only come. There is also no suffering or pain or question or feeling of despair that can outweigh the goodness and worth and sufficiency of Christ crucified and risen for us. It is always worth it to come and be found in Christ, to receive all that is in him. 
We, we read about this. We read about what God did in, in Jesus on the cross in Colossians 2. Paul writes, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. The, the Bible spares no punches in describing our true condition apart from Christ. We are dead. Dead in sin. Not just sick, not just hurt, in need of a little help and, and advice here and there, but dead in need of saving. We are separated from God and his people. That's what uncircumcised in flesh means. The law of God stands against us, condemning us. We have a debt that we cannot pay. We are in a helpless situation. But God does not leave us there. That is not the end of the story. God doesn't give up. Because of his love and mercy and goodness, also because of his justice and righteousness, he sends Jesus to be the perfect and just solution to forgive our sins and bring us to himself, to remove all that stood against us and to make us new. You might say that the cross shows us both that we must come to Jesus and that we can come to Jesus. Right? The one who seeks finds, says Jesus. What a, again, what a wonderful promise. The one who seeks finds. Simple. Come to Jesus. And it, it, it is true that coming to Jesus is a very simple thing. It doesn't involve jumping through a lot of hoops. It doesn't involve getting your life in order first. It doesn't involve going to seminary and getting all this knowledge. It doesn't involve being in the church for a long time and learning how to speak Christianese. It's not complex. You look to Jesus, you come to Jesus. And he's not hiding. He's not making it hard to come to him. However, in the rest of this passage, Jesus does teach us that there is a certain quality, a certain characteristic that is necessary to come to Jesus. That the people of the kingdom of God have a certain quality to them that is absolutely necessary. So look at verses 16 and 17 again. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So what is this characteristic? What is Jesus getting at here? What does it mean to be like a child? Who are the such as these to whom belong the kingdom of God? Well, the point seems to be, the, the characteristic seems to be childlike humility and recognition of need. Childlike humility and recognition of need. Um, in another place, Je Jesus says, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And he goes on, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
So humility. In the, in the account just before our passage here in Luke 18, uh, you find humility and recognizing one's need as the point. Um, so the account right before this is the, the um, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You've probably heard it before. A Pharisee and tax collector both go to the temple to pray. The Pharisee um, goes and just makes much of himself. He says, God, thank you that I'm so awesome. Thank you that I'm such a great, great individual. I've done all these wonderful things. Um, obviously, you love me. Um, thank you that I'm not like this despicable Pharisee or a tax collector over here. Very proud. No humility. The lowly and despised tax collector then prays a prayer of humble desperation. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Doesn't even, can't even get himself to look up. He, just, God, have mercy to me, a sinner. And then Jesus makes the point of the parable very clear. He says, who everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, like the, tax, like the Pharisee, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so to come to Jesus and to receive his grace, to enter his kingdom, you must have a certain quality. And that is humility and recognizing that you actually need Jesus. You have to recognize that you don't have all that you need. You are not good enough. You don't bring a resume to Jesus and say, accept me. You are not wise enough, strong enough, competent enough, religious enough. You must know that you are a sinner who neither deserves nor can demand anything from God apart from his mercy. And I think the point here is that this is something that is usually harder for us adults to do than children. We tend to want to earn or perhaps figure out or perhaps weigh all of the options before we come. It is hard for us to humbly receive grace, to give of ourselves independent trust. Now, it's, it's interesting that in this story, we are presented with this very simple invitation, come to Jesus. In the very next story in Luke, uh, Jesus says very clearly how difficult it is for those to have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. How difficult it is. So, come to Jesus but you should also know that there are some things in this world and some things in your heart that will make it difficult. And it's not just wealth, obviously. There are various forms of love of the world and pride and self-sufficiency that keep us, that can keep us from actually simply coming. And you, you can see pride in a couple of different ways. So there is a pride that says, my sins aren't that bad, so I don't need a savior. Right? This is the Pharisee in the story. We can be very religious, very moral, very involved in church, dedicated to devotions and prayer, but it's possible to do all that in a very prideful, self-righteous way. And to stay at arm's length from God. 
Of course, you can do the same thing in, in non-religious ways, in secular ways. You can just judge yourself as basically a good and decent person by the standards of our society. I'm helping others. I'm loving others. I'm not doing any great ill. And still, we don't come to Jesus because we ultimately trust in ourselves. But the thing is, in a God-created, God-ruled world, the ultimate evil is not coming to God. Is finding a way to where you think that you can live apart from God. Where you are sufficient without God. Finding a way to live as if God were unnecessary, perhaps an optional add-on to your life. And you can do this in both religious and irreligious ways. But there's a second kind of pride that also keeps us from coming to Jesus. And that is in saying, well, my sins are too great, so I don't deserve a Savior. Surely Jesus wouldn't accept someone like me. Which is a form of pride because we are demanding that we contribute to our salvation. We do not want to just accept God's grace, what God went through to give us salvation, we want to contribute something to it. And so we refuse to come, we refuse to cast our burden on him, and instead insist that we do it on our own. We think, well, God couldn't possibly accept me. He wouldn't welcome me. I need to get some things together first. Um, Dane Ortland captures this sort of thinking well in the, the book Gentle and Lowly. He says, so uh, this, this is the arguments that we, that we make. No, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. Well, you know most of it, sure. Certainly than what, more than what others see. But there's perversity down inside me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present, too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavier and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed toward others. They're against you. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Quoting scripture, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then Ortland goes on to say, with Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required. First at conversion and a thousand times thereafter until we are with him upon death. So do not let your sin, your awareness of your sin, your feelings of guilt and insufficiency, the knowledge of the capacity for evil that is within you, keep you from coming to Jesus. It doesn't keep Jesus from welcoming you. If you would only come. As Paul writes, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. In other words, there's, there's no sinning or evil that can outweigh or diminish or cancel the blood-bought grace of God. 
for those who would come. And it is in this coming to Jesus that we display this childlike humility and dependence and trust that God wants from us, that is only appropriate for a relationship with a sovereign God. And it leads us to not just come to him, but also to worship him and to love him because we see all that he's done for us. So see the heart of welcome in our God. See that he is continually welcoming you, inviting you, speaking tenderly to you that you would come, offering you his promises that you might come. Look to him again and again. And having done this, come. Come to him with a childlike dependency and trust. Cling to him, flee to him. You know, this doesn't mean there's not a place for, for questioning, for figuring some, some things out, for learning, for going through hard times and struggles and doubts. There is, the Bible makes that clear, but even do those things as a child where you continue to trust that God has the answers, that he is good, and he will be worth it. He wants you and all of your baggage, all of your sins, all of your struggles, all of your doubts, all of your weaknesses and uncertainties, all of you. If only you would come. Let the children come to me. Come to me all who are weary. This is what God desires and what heaven rejoices in. Let's pray.